Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Talking about the wonderful, as she is seen around the world, making headlines, making an impact, Jacinda Ardern, the uh, Prime Minister of our neighbouring country, New Zealand. She's done it again, Keith. She's captured the world's attention. She has. She's been the subject of a recent very long article in the New York Times saying that she has tabled this new budget. It's the first world's first well-being budget. In other words, that normally when politicians talk, particularly in budgets, uh, they talk about gross domestic product or gross national product. Essentially, for our purposes, they're about the same, but there are a few differences, but let's talk about GMP or GDP uh, as much the same sort of measurement. And that's the measurement of economic activity. And so it is possible to have an economy that's growing well, but you still have people who are missing out on all that growth. So what we're seeing now in New Zealand is a prime minister and a, well, as a, and a government arguing that they're now going to talk about the well-being of the general public rather than New Zealand gross domestic product. So it's a whole new social experiment which she is trying to operate with. So the argument is that instead of being obsessed about getting economic growth, because that doesn't trickle down to the really poor, the argument is that there are close to 1 million children in New Zealand under 15 years of age, so very young, and um, many of them are living in poverty. So the New Zealand economy is growing well. It survived uh, the global financial crisis in 2008 because it was so closely linked to the Australian economy and we survived because we were linked to the Chinese economy, right? So the Americans went down, the British went down, we were somehow separate and we were able to exist separately and, and keep going. So New Zealand has had a growing economy but you're also conscious of the fact there's a lot of poverty there in certain areas. So the New Zealand Prime Minister, instead of talking about in the way that the Australian Prime Minister's did about talking about um, expanding the pie, she is saying, no, we want to look at how that pie is divided up and we want to be able to produce statistics to measure how well our people are going. So we are measuring the well-being of people, not the well-being of the New Zealand economy. It's a very interesting approach, very different approach um, now, in New Zealand, they have no upper house. They don't have to deal with a, a difficult Senate, as you get in the United States, uh, for example, or Australia. Uh, remember, the Australian government still can't get some of its own budget proposals through from, <laughs> from the last budget, whereas in New Zealand, it's one, one house. So she is uh, creating this well-being budget, knowing that they can't be blocked by an upper house. So it's a very interesting experiment that she has underway. So how will it work, though, on a bigger scale? How will it differ from the other measurements or the other ways that you measure? Well, she's putting a lot more money into mental health, support for Indigenous peoples, Māori, and victims of domestic violence. Um, now, if you look at the way that we talk about the Australian budget, we also put money into those things, but they're always an afterthought. You know, because the, the, the emphasis, well, look at our last election. The argument was over taxation reform or whether uh, who's going to lose out on taxation reform. Uh, so it was actually on economic well-being. She is actually saying we need to develop good statistics at, aimed at social well-being so we can measure the number of children living in poverty, the um, number of people who are homeless, 
Um, now, New Zealand has had a, an interesting record in this area. In 1960, the uh, then New Zealand government was warned uh, that if New Zealand population unemployment reached 100, not 100%, but 100 individuals, the government would fall. What? It's an incredible situation. So New Zealand, at the end of World War II, where, of course, New Zealanders had fought with distinction, but there'd been no bombing of New Zealand, very different from, say, the United Kingdom or the rest of Europe. So New Zealand was in a very financially healthy situation. People were buying New Zealand farm produce, etc. So the economy was booming. And the total number of people who were unemployed in the 40s and 50s could actually be listed in a newspaper. You wouldn't have done because of privacy reasons, but you could have identified them by name. The number was so small. And the government was warned, if that number gets up to 100 people unemployed in New Zealand, the government will fall. So it's very interesting how New Zealand has traditionally treated its citizens well. And then you get um, uh, the era of Piggy Muldoon, the Prime Minister, who took that thinking of government intervention to thinking big, spending big on all sorts of projects. I think he would have gone on very well with Anastasia Ocasio-Cortez in New York because she's talking about a Green New Deal. So this guy, Muldoon, had his own ideas about really big projects to revamp the New Zealand economy because by the late 70s, early 80s, New Zealand uh, had lost out on Britain as a market because Britain, of course, had joined what is now the European Union. And so... New Zealand had lost its, its major customer. And so you had this period when the country teetered on bankruptcy as Piggy Muldoon, as he was called, uh, not to his face, Muldoon spent a lot of money. He was on the conservative side of politics. And then you get in the early 80s the election of David Longy, who was really guided, in fact, he admitted to me, I remember having dinner with him on one occasion, he was really guided by what became Roger Nomics. So Sir Roger Douglas became the finance minister. And New Zealand became a research lab for the rest of the world. So they got out of all this government endorsement of big projects, all these farm subsidies and all the rest of it. And they just decided to rely on the market. So New Zealand went through a hell of a time in the 80s under Labour, right? Not a Conservative government. This was under Labour. This is uh, uh, David Longy's government. And, of course, the country's so small, you know, you can introduce these reforms. You don't have an upper house to worry about. And so we get a recovery of the New Zealand economy by relying more on the market. So a lot of the government assets were sold off, etc. It was a huge economic revolution, which Australia then followed up with. But New Zealand was, was the trendsetter in all of that. So, yes, you had remarkable economic growth in New Zealand. Um, and New Zealand is a great country to live in providing got money. But of course, in all this sort of situation where you have market reforms, you have winners and losers. And New Zealand acquired a lot of losers amongst Maori uh, and amongst some white people, the Pakahas, who didn't know how to organise their own daily affairs. And so uh, in a sense, therefore, New Zealand is undergoing yet another revolution. They're turning their back on the reform started by an earlier Labour government, which was then followed up by Conservative governments, and they've now started on this new well-being approach. So New Zealand is once again setting a trend for the world. (laughs) 
This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking about how Jacinda Ardern again has made world headlines, Miss Popular, doing the right thing, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) And she did actually, you know, make a name for herself through the Christchurch shooting a couple of months ago for her extraordinary behaviour in the aftermath of that in in a good way Um, and her ability to connect with people and understand people. Is this just more of a demonstration, Keith, on how she is on that front and that connectedness and the understanding and the empathy she has towards people? I think so, yeah. Um, She's a young politician. Um, She's certainly... And, of course, the great thing about New Zealand, it's a small country and you could find yourself standing behind the Prime Minister when you're buying your groceries, right? So (laughs) you could actually communicate much more easily with the politicians. You can't get near an American president or a British Prime Minister, um, unless perhaps in the case of British Prime Minister, you're in his or her constituency. Whereas New Zealand is um, a smaller, more intimate country, and you can convey your views one way or another to politicians more easily. And I think word has got through to the New Zealand politicians, the political class, that in fact a lot of people have not benefited from the dramatic economic reforms that have taken place and therefore they're going to try to do things differently. So what they want to do then is to focus on working and lower-income families and they're designing a budget around prioritising the well-being of people who previously had little political power. So it's a very radical move. Now, if you look at what goes on in the United States, Donald Trump has just introduced tax reforms which will benefit the rich. You know, he's given a bit of money away to the poor, but it's going to be the rich who's going to benefit. In the United Kingdom, you have uh, what is called the universal credit system, which is uh, turning out to be a disaster for poor people. Um, You've got to wait five weeks before you go on welfare, so that means you don't pay rent for five weeks, you don't eat for five weeks. There's a movie been made called I, Daniel Blake, which looks at the complexity of this new universal credit system. You know, the Conservatives are called the nasty party, and one of the reasons for it is simply because of this universal credit system, which was designed to enable people to work better and and all the rest of it coming out of the working life. It simply hasn't worked. When I talk to my students about poverty, I talk about three routes into poverty. So one is, and this is what the welfare state is designed to cover, you're a middle-class family, or an individual, you're doing well and suddenly there is a a tragedy and so you then have to have a safety net and that's what the welfare system was designed to do. The assumption is that you are middle class, you'll go back to middle class, but you do need a bit of temporary assistance, right? Um, that's, That's one way of getting into poverty and you're there temporarily. It's a safety net and you jump out of the net in due course. A second way of getting into poverty is that you're born in poverty, you live in poverty, you raise your kids in poverty and you die in poverty. I have welfare clients like that. They, Cyclic. They, they don't have the um, uh, skills to get out of that poverty and they, they just live on, on, the, on the welfare and they can do that quite well. Um, a third way of, of getting into uh, poverty is when you're doing quite well in life and you make a stupid mistake, which for young girls who's getting pregnant without a husband, you know, pregnant at the age of 16, uh, for um, boys and girls, women and men, it's a problem with drugs. Uh, I was in court some years ago now with a young fellow, uh, very good family. His father, in fact, came up from Victoria. His father had been a mayor of a municipality and the young fellow had followed his older brother and sister to go to private school, university. But then when he was at university, he got in with a a crew that liked drugs. 
and he was now on trial in Sydney um, on drug-related matters. We couldn't do anything to stop that. He went to jail and later died. So his life was squandered. One mistake, in this case, getting involved in drugs. Um, if, if you're a 16-year-old who gets pregnant uh, and you decide to keep on to the baby, your life is determined for the next 20 years. Children are very labour-intensive, even with a welfare system. But they're the three ways of getting in. Now, the argument is, from the British point of view, we need to find a way of breaking that circle of, of poverty, that you get parents who raise their kids in poverty. And so we want kids to see a role model of parents getting up and working hard. So that's what the universal credit system was about, and I think it's been a disaster. Well-meaning, but a disaster, right? Now, and, and meanwhile, of course, the British government would say we want to increase um, the size of the economy and that wealth will then trickle down. This is the, this is the trickle, notorious trickle-down theory. Wealth trickles down to the poor. Um, what is interesting in New Zealand, they simply said, look, we're stopping all this trickle-down nonsense. We're not interested in that rhetoric. The way to help the poor is to help the poor. So um, government departments are going to have to produce statistics to prove that they're actually helping people get out of poverty. So it's a reduction of homelessness, right? Creation of jobs. Now, for me, which is the point I keep making in this series, is what are we going to do about creating jobs, good jobs, um, with this era of industrial revolution that's taking place? Now, Jacinda Ardern obviously thinks that New Zealand can do that. Certainly New Zealand has proved to be very adventurous. I love going to New Zealand. Um, I used to do a lecture tour for a week. I could cope with one week in New Zealand. I don't think I could cope with 52. Oh, it's a bit, bit too quiet. But on that southern island, it's just so <laughs> spectacular. You can't drag yourself away. Well, with the southern island, they've made themselves into a giant tourist attraction. They're making movies. They're leaders in, in some movies, of course. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, another thing they've developed um, is language skills. Because if you look at New Zealand... The way that it is situated, if you need documents to be translated, you send them by the internet down to New Zealand for whom it's a working day, right? And then by the time you get back into your office in London, the document has been done, if you're with me. They are taking advantage of the time zone. Oh, wow. And so Wellington and New that. Zealand have, have got a flourishing business in translating documents for the European and American markets. So it just shows the inventiveness of the New Zealanders. So perhaps she's right, perhaps you can find new ways of creating jobs, but she is certainly saying we're going to focus on the poor, the homeless, et cetera. And I also find it um, it's a better way to phrase something, the wellbeing sort of index, if you will, or whatever yeah. she's called it, because economic talk is very hard to understand for the majority of people. I mean, I put myself in that category. You just lose <laughs> me when you start talking about economics. So if she gives it a brand that's really yeah. easy to understand, a title like that, that sort of depicts what she's trying to accomplish. I mean, really, that's powerful in itself. It's brilliant. And what she is doing is, is head-on challenging this notion of GDP or gross national product, gross domestic product. The problem with that is that Politicians are obsessed with increasing the size of GMP, GDP, but that doesn't reflect the actual well-being of people. Because remember, GDP or GMP measures the movement of money through the economy. So bushfires are good for the economy. Crime is good for the economy because it, in, it employs police officers or fire brigade, whatever, whatever the event is. My favourite example is that if I employ a maid... I increase the gross national product. But if I then marry her, I reduce the gross national product because I'm no longer paying her a salary, 
right? So that just shows that GMP, GDP, an innovation at its time, which was, what, 70, 80 years ago, good idea, but we've now become more sophisticated in measuring well-being. And so it's no longer just enough to focus on gross national product or gross domestic product. We have got to find new ways of measuring the well-being of people. People, the welfare of people should be the bottom line for an economy, not GDP growth. And she is setting a new pathway in doing that. So should we be taking a leaf out of her book here in Australia, Keith? I would love to do that, but it's very difficult to argue with politicians who are obsessed with GMP, etc. But yes, we, we should be following the example of New Zealand. I notice, by the way, that the Americans have said that she ought to become President of the United States. Well, I hope she visits Australia on her way there. We could do with her here, in my view. <laughs> Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.